to the preaching of the Word this morning, I want to just reiterate the importance and just to, let me just give a quick summary of our highlighted uh, announcements this morning. Here's what a meal train looks like. When someone's uh, family member dies or someone's in the hospital for an extended stay, you go online and you'll see the next five to seven days and it'll say uh, supper and you can click on a date and tell them what you're bringing. I tend to bring things with a little taste to them. I'll say barbecue, bread, beans, slaw, you know, buns, that kind of thing. And then you take it to the family. Um, it's only when you've been on the other side and you are emotionally exhausted, and I'm not being dramatic, you're physically exhausted and your resources are down and you get home and your husband's coming from one way and the wife's coming from the other and the kids get home and there's relatives from out of town and supper's waiting on you. It's just, this is something, I don't cook. I'm not much on cooking, but I know where good food is. And almost every week it comes out, I sign up. I want them to know I'm, I'm thinking about you during this time. So um, this is something very easy to do. It doesn't mean you're committed to every time it means that you're going to be looking at every time saying, can I help with one meal? And, you know, there's just strength in, in numbers. Um, I want to address the next two needs. This won't take but a moment, but may I just tell you about the, the systems and the details. Uh, since the virus and, and all of this, you know, nationwide in local church gatherings, numbers are down resources are down depending on the place. Uh, the programs remain, but the pool of volunteers to draw from shrinks. We still have the same amount of kids, but not as many people to watch them. We still have uh, the same amount of people coming through the door and not enough uh, people to greet them. Um, Mark Rutland once said, and by the way, if you're looking for good podcast and sound and stable ministry, proven ministry, his is one you could listen to. He said, I've been around the world and preached the gospel in almost every continent, on the, on almost every nation and every continent on the face of the earth. I've been a president of Bible colleges and listed all this ministry. He said, but most of my Christian ministry is walking into a dirty house and knowing where the broom is. We need help with our greeters and children's church and teachers. And this is like once a month kind of thing. And we don't want people that have never heard the gospel to come and look in a nursery where there's not enough people to watch their children. Now, only two times in 26 years have I said this, and I don't mean it manipulative. I just mean the truth. If we didn't have enough to serve, I would just go back there. And everybody said, where's the preacher? Well, he's back there. Don't tell me that what happens in here is more important than what happens with our babies. So our nursery, our children's church, our greeters, we're, we're down to a smaller number. May I count on you for once a month somewhere? Like go to Amy and said, put me in coach. I don't want to, you don't have to head up to be a warm body. I do want to make a qualifier. If you're mean, yeah, you frown all the time. No, just pat, we pass. 
you know, welcome to Christ Chapel. Good luck today, you know. <laughs> or if you're standing in there with the kids and like, I hate kids, you know, no, no. You can help us somewhere else. But we really do, we need your help. So if you would contact the office or the app or Amy and say, hey, count me in for once a month. Now, let me tell you something we did, and I'm done with the commercial, years ago. Because many of us were exposed to church when you volunteered. That meant you were signed up till the rapture. That's why we didn't sign up, because you couldn't get out till Jesus come. And he wasn't coming, seemingly, no time soon. You can say, hey, I want to make a commitment for six months. Do you understand that six times? That's all. And we need your help. So, and if you go ahead and do this, and you won't have to hear my commercial again. So, good. I don't have a primary text this morning, but we will be preaching out of the, uh, the book of Ruth, chapter 2. And this is part 7 in our series on the book of Ruth. I trust not that you've enjoyed it, but this has been beneficial to you in seeing not only the correlation and the pattern of salvation, uh, Naomi being a type of, of Israel that walked away from the Lord and came back, Ruth being a type of the Gentiles that have found Christ through the Judeo-Christian message of Naomi. We've talked about the importance, uh, not so much of the quality of the messenger, but as the accuracy of the message that she brought. And in Ruth, we are supposed to see a mirror. There's so many things, even if they're not perfect types, they are appropriate types that allow us to see ourselves more clearly, clearly, the approach of our Boaz more clearly, the importance, the coincidences. If Jesus tarries in the coming weeks, I'm going to speak to you about details and about how everything is connected. But today I want to speak to you by God's grace on the subject of kinsmen kinsman, if you're taking notes, which also means redeemer. So let me pray for myself. And if you will, I ask that you sincerely pray for me in this moment. Do you understand that without God's anointing, we're just going to get information? But if God opens our eyes, if his spirit uh, rests upon your pastor and rests upon the hearer, you'll see wondrous things out of the word. You'll go from information to revelation. You'll go from being impressed with someone's knowledge to seeing the wisdom of God's word for your life. So I take this very seriously and I want to state categorically for the Lord's hearing. I know that I can't help anyone. But oh, if I preach God's word under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you can be changed and healed and perspectives changed and all of those things. So Father, I just stand before you. I've done this now for 30 years and you know that I'm least in the bullpen. I am the one nobody would pick standing against the backstop, but you chose me and you've used me for your glory on occasion. And it's that I ask today. I don't ask to be known or recognized or esteemed, but use me, Lord, I pray. Rest on me today, I pray, Lord. Let me be effective for all you've done for me. Let me do something for you today. Let the preached word find empty and open hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, if you're taking notes. Well, I'll go ahead and give you the four or the three. I want to speak to you about the divine kinsman, 
Number two, the exclusive kinsman. And number three, the sufficient kinsman. Kinsman means redeemer. And in this story, in chapter two, just leave your Bible open there, we're seeing Ruth be introduced to her kinsman. See, she did not know he was a redeemer until he redeemed. She didn't know he would be the savior until he saved. And there are workings of grace in the life of people who are to be saved. Whether they are aware of it or not, there is grace being given. Uh, situations being used and altered. And where Boaz was not manipulating the circumstances, the pattern is still there. It seemed as if the life of Naomi and Ruth was pushing them towards Boaz. And believe it or not, before you got saved, you were being saved. You were being brought into God so that he could buy you back, pay off the debts of your sins, restore your soul, bring you from darkness to light, bring you from brokenness to wholeness, from sorrow to joy. The story of redemption starts with, in this passage, with a, a man named Boaz, not with the person named Ruth, because if there was no Boaz, there'd be no redeemer. And the word Boaz means strength. So look in your Bible, Ruth chapter two, verse one, and Naomi had a kinsman, a redeemer, a savior. And I know this is simple, but let this go in your soul. And you have a kinsman, a redeemer, a savior, even before you knew it. He was, and he was a man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz, which means strength. Jesus is not just our kinsman, he's our divine kinsman. Our divine kinsman is a redeemer, which means he purchases back that which was sold. See, we were sold into the slavery of our sins and our trespasses. We were sold by our choices. Some things were done to us, uh, against us, against our will. And our debt was so high that it was impossible to pay it. We committed earthly sins that needed an eternal redemption. Here's what you need to see. Boaz had the capacity, the wherewithal, and the desire to take over everything associated with her and absorb all of that into him. Her failures, her paganism, her worship of false gods, her immorality, her uh, loss, her sorrow, her goodness, all of that, he just absorbed her into himself. And Boaz had limitations, but our divine kinsman has none. And no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, no matter how overlooked and insignificant you feel, no matter what anyone else sell, says, Christ and Christ alone has the capacity and has the wherewithal to absorb you. He didn't just erase my past. He brought me into himself and brought himself into me. I love to use the illustration like making tea. When you put the tea bag in the hot water, it becomes tea. You can't take the tea out the water and you can't take the water out the tea. It is changed from then on. I'm tea. You can't separate me from him. He, he's not just, listen, religion offers earthly redeemers. I need the priest to come and absolve my sins. Ah, 
I need the church to accept me into the flock. I shook the preacher's hand. Ah. Earthly redeemers, quote, whatever their redeem means, can only operate in the earth. I need someone in heaven, a daysman betwixt us, that can take the hand of my need and attach it to the hand of God's supply and absorb me, bring me into his body, his family. What Boaz did on the earth, Jesus does in heaven. So I go from my darkness to his light. I go from my paganism to his holiness. I go from my guilt to his innocence. This is what Jesus did for us. When you read the book of Ruth and you realize all that uh, Boaz did, Jesus does this on a perfect level, on a divine level, on a complete level. Do you understand there's no part of my life he didn't redeem? He didn't just redeem me from my sins. He redeemed my today and my tomorrow. All of it. And I'll, I'll blow all your circuits. Before... I was in my mother's womb. He knew me. He elected me. John, that doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> That's why worship flows from the person that understands grace because they understand I had nothing to do with it. And my kinsman saw me gleaning in an earthly field and brought me out into a heavenly field. He, he took me from working to resting. He took me from getting by to being an owner. Did you know he's already given you his riches and glory through Christ Jesus? This earth is the Lord's. And I'm his bride. So guess who the earth belongs to? us. Now, right now, he's not brought it unto himself, but don't mistake it. It's his. It's kind of like a squatter in your house. They may be in there with their furniture. And I know today squatters have more rights than owners. But if you're in South Alabama and Billy Bob finds you squatting in his house. Anyway, that's a whole nother. We, they'll never find you, man, and they'll never find you. Uh, the divine kinsman is a mighty redeemer. It says Boaz, Boaz meant, his name meant strength to save, to deliver, to establish, to preserve, to protect. Listen, I'm not trying to hype you. I'm trying to get you to see Jesus as clearly as you see everything else. My kinsman, my kinsman, redeemed me perfectly redeems me and no matter what mess I get myself in he has the capacity the wherewithal and the desire to legally rescue me legally rescue me I'm his and he is mine I have his name as a matter of fact, if you'll study your scriptures, you'll find there will come a day in the future where Jesus gives us a, a white rock with a name on it and said, this is your name. No man knows. Kelly opened my eyes to this in the scripture. I'd never seen it before, but it was a, a foreshadowing of that when uh, 
Solomon was born of uh, Bathsheba and David. They named him Solomon, but the Lord said, yeah, but I called him Jedediah because I love him. I'm like, what? Yeah, they, they calling him by Solomon. That's okay. His name's Jedediah. Let me tell you how well the Lord knows me. That he has special words for me. Special plans and intentions for me. And he is so strong and so able. And when it says Boaz was a mighty man of wealth, the modern day charismatic Pentecostals think just money. No, it means capacity. It means he can do what he needs to do in the city gates. Can't nobody stop him or hinder him. He was a mighty man of wealth. My Lord can move every obstacle, every hindrance. He can push back every enemy. He can silence every tongue. When I see his might, when I see his might, fear dissipates. That's why we're fearful, because we see our current more clearly than we see our Redeemer. I'm not saying the danger is not there. I'm saying the Lord is here. That's what I'm saying. Let me tell you what we like because we love to be organized and on top of stuff and we just don't like stuff out of control. Jesus gave us several examples, but one he did a lot in the New Testament recorded for our benefit is storms with Jesus. There's storms and we love it when he quiets the storm. But my favorite is when he comes walking on the water to them and he said, it is I be not afraid. He never addressed the storm. So what's the storm doing? Waves beating all into the ship, people falling out, cargo falling out, uneasy, uncomfortable, unpredictable, dis-ease. Doesn't that sound like disease? Dis-ease. And he said, I got something for you better than the storm, better than quieting your storm. It is I. I am is here. What does that mean? Yep. Mama Sheila said, more than enough. Because see, I can quiet the storm or I can step on your boat and it immediately come to shore. If you got me, you got the goose that laid the golden egg. Quit praying for golden eggs and get me, the I am. My kinsman is divine and mighty and he's wealthy. For in my Lord dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, having the wherewithal to pay my price. Nothing I need he doesn't have. I know that sounds simple, but you, you don't believe that. Nothing I need he doesn't have. For me as a father. Now this is not a doctrine. I'm speaking to you as a man, a husband, and a daddy. The worst, the most painful insult that my children could give me is that they thought I had the wherewithal to take care of them and I wouldn't. I will move heaven and earth for my babies. And one of the small ways, I know this may sound silly to you, I'm just telling you my own personal things about my walk with the Lord. One of the first things I wanted to teach them was daddy always keeps his word. So equate that with the father always keeps his word. And I said, Whatever I have, you have. Now, that comes with high cost. There's not a day goes by that I don't make a sandwich. Not a day goes by. Or I'll take something hot out the oven. Just prepare it. Just make, Ooh, daddy, can I have that? And I know in that moment, I said, 
absolutely. And I said, because if I have it, and they say, I have it. That doesn't mean they get to dictate to me. Because there'll be times I'll say, now, did you just eat your supper? Mm-hmm. Now, daddy hasn't had supper. Can I just give you a bite? Would that be okay? Sure. So it's not them manipulating me, but I want them to grasp that they don't get everything they ask for, but they understand that if I have it, you have it. When my son Jimmy moved into our house, uh, those of you that don't know our history, we had a neighborhood boy that we took to church for several years. And one day his parents just said, you can have him. And I said, absolutely. And he was just right at 15 and he moved into our house. And uh, good boy, good boy. He was a D student at school though and just had a lot to overcome. And I, I don't say this to embarrass him at all because I'm going to tell you something. He is a good man. Loves the Lord, loves his wife. He's a great daddy. But I remember at 15, he started to hide food and I would see it. Parents, you can put fill in the blanks, you know. And I would find Pop-Tarts, you know, under a pillow or, you know, I'd go to put laundry in his sock drawer and I'd find food. And I asked him one day, I said, come here, buddy. And see, now it's hard to think like this because he's such a, he's grown. I mean, full grown, 40. You know, my dad died at 42. You know, Jimmy's right near 40 years old. So I took him by the hand and said, come here, buddy. I walked through him. And I'm paraphrasing. I walked in. I said, you see this house? This is your house. We walked in the den. I said, what do you see? He said, well, there's a TV and, you know, stereo. I said, it's yours. We walked in every room in the house. And then I walked in the kitchen. I said, I'll never manipulate you, Jimmy. But I wanted you to see all this house. I said, you see the food in this cabinet? Everything in this house is yours. Everything. You don't have to put in your room. Now, if you want to, you can. But if I have it, it's yours. From that moment on, he didn't hide anymore. What would happen in your soul? I'm not talking about stockpiling riches from the Lord. If you believed that what he has is yours, you stop being afraid. Can I give you the Bible verse for this? If God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for you freely... Shall he not now also with him give you everything else that you need? If he prepared a savior, don't you think provision won't be a problem? Isn't that rich? You know why we're so quiet? Because it humbles us. Oh, do you know there are people that are multimillionaires that would write a check for half of everything they own to get rid of anxiety and you already have the cure? faith. I have many seasons of my life. It's incredibly difficult, but I don't have to be anxious. They are sorrowful, but not anxious. See, we're not exempt from sorrow and pain and uh, trouble, but we are to be exempt of anxiety. Fear not. Fear not. Why are you so anxious? Why are you so troubled? You read it all through the Bible. 
Our problem is not our problem. Our problem is that we do not see Jesus clearly. You can write that. Put it on your refrigerator. May I see him more clearly. May I see him more consistently. May I see him more accurately. The divine kinsman is a qualified redeemer. In Matthew 1, it says, One from whose flesh uh, with Ruth sprang forth the promised Messiah, thereby manifesting his connection both with the Jewish and Gentile church. Jesus came from Ruth and Boaz, the Jew and the Gentile together. He, Jesus, is the divine kinsman. Number two, the exclusive kinsman. Two, verse eight, and then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Do not go glean in another field. Mark that in your Bible, if you will. Josh, if you turn me down just, just a touch, buddy. Neither go from hence, but abide here, here fast by my maidens. Do not go to another field. There is a push in this last day uh, church, if you will, in the West, that Jesus is one of many or part of the whole. When Boaz says, don't go to another field, you don't have to go to an organized church field. You don't have to embrace Catholicism or another false religion. You don't have to add works. When you find my field, you stay here. And anybody that tells you that what you need, you'll need something besides my field to supply it is a liar. Go not to another field. There were other kinsmen. If you'll read out today, if you'll go home and read the book of Ruth, you'll find that there were other kinsmen, but not a divine kinsman. Not the exclusive kinsman. Well, you just said there were others. How could there be others if he's exclusive? I'll explain that to you. There were other kinsmen, but none with her best interest at heart. Oh, there's a lot of religions that will present you with a Savior and a Redeemer, but not with your best interest at heart. These religions will strip mine you and take from you and leave you worse than you were when it found you. They'll lie to you and hide the cost until the end. Jesus comes and tells you the cost at the beginning. He says, you got to give me everything. Everything. And in exchange for your life, you'll find life. I'm grateful, and I know, this 58-year-old man knows that my Lord has my best interest at heart even when I can't see it. Period. So I must be wrong, or I must not have all the information yet. Well, I added up what happened, and I added up what didn't happen, so God must be not have my best interest at heart. Well, no, there's a missing piece somewhere. There's a missing piece somewhere. And when all the information is tallied, you will bow your head in the court of heaven and say, you were faithful. You were faithful to me. There were other kinsmen, but none willing to pay the necessary price. Mine didn't just say, I care for him. Mine came in the form of flesh, 
born of a virgin, lived ostracized, was maligned and misunderstood, was, was hated and despised, was rejected by his own people. They stripped him naked and beat him within an inch of his life, so much so that those that knew him could not recognize him looking at his body. And that beaten, bloated corpse before it died hung on that tree, stretched wide and hung high for my sins and your sins. Oh, there were other kinsmen, but no one would do for me what Jesus did for me. And I owe him, and I love him, and I'm grateful to him, and I'm not ashamed of him. Therefore, that is why we go outside the camp bearing his reproach. If he could die for me that way, I can surely live for him in this day. There were other kinsmen, but none who had the capacity and desire to redeem her. There were other kinsmen, but none that would speak so tenderly to her. Let me go back. Do you remember, you'll, you'll find in the story where Boaz was talking to another guy, and he said, yeah, I'd like a Limelech's land and houses and Naomi. He said, well, you got to take Ruth. He said, no, I, I don't really want to take on her. Not with her past. Not with what they'll say. I'm grateful that the Lord knowing all there was to know about me. And I've said this on a couple occasions, and I'm not trying to be dramatic. It's for the healing of my own soul. There are things that I've done in my history before Jesus that I've never told a living soul about the shame it's so great. Not crimes, sins. The shame is so great, and he knew that. And said, come here, Johnny. I'm going to redeem you. <laughs> That's why we love him. That's why we love him. How patient has he been with you? How kind has he been to you? How forgiving? How big is his coat that covers your sins? So when you look upon me, is the sin there? Yes, but it's under the coat of his righteousness. When this prodigal come home, he didn't bathe me. He put a coat on me that covered everything. There were other kinsmen, I said, that none would speak so tenderly to her. The way Boaz spoke to her, listen, before she was his. She said, why do you speak so tenderly to me? And I'm like unto one of your handmaidens, but I'm not one of your handmaidens. And as God was fishing for you, and you sat under ministries and ministers who were preaching the word of God to you. And yes, they spoke of your sin and your past and your, your desperate need. But they also spoke of God's kindness and goodness for people like you and I. I guess this is what the writer meant in the Song of Solomon when he said, Let me hear your voice. Your companions hearken to your voice. Cause me to hear it, Lord. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they know my, know my voice, and a stranger they will not follow, for they know not the voice of strangers. In my travels, before salvation and during and after, there are so many times, you know, if I could just take a pen and write out how many times he spoke so tenderly to me, when he should have I am just so limited with my vocabulary. He should have just threw me away years ago. And he's gracious and tender 
and kind. And he looks at Ruth, this Moabite woman. And he says, go not to another field, my daughter. Okay, stop. Why would you talk to me like that? Oh, Ruth, John, I'm not talking to you based on who you are. The way I talk to you is not based on who you are. The way I talk to you is based on who I am. Kindness and tenderly. I've told you many times before, uh, you know, I was born again as a little boy when I was nine. And uh, my dad baptized me. But when my dad died, I turned away from God completely. Not a little bit, completely. From 11 to 24. But there were so many moments where during that rebellion where Christ would speak tenderly to me, I would, I would be drunk at my house and I'd pray drunk a lot. <laughs> Some of y'all don't understand that, but those that drank a lot would understand it. You know, first of all, you pray, if you get me out of this one, I won't ever drink again, I promise. If you can get me out of the restroom, I promise I won't drink no more. Uh, but I remember feeling his love And it made me so uncomfortable because I was so unworthy. And he would speak kindly to me. So I show up at church one day, uh, July 6, 1986. And the pastor opens the Bible. And he said, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And I'm like, oh, come on. I I mean, seriously, I know that someone's called him and told him Sandra's son's here or, or whatever. Do you know what it was, though? It was like, for me. I'm not, don't build a doctrine out of this. But for me, it was like, hey, I know you're here. And my heart just melted. Instead of lightning zapping me, and hey, don't make light of these people. Say, if I come to your church, the roof is going to fall in. No, anybody else beside me felt that way. Raise your hand. It's good for the soul. If I come in that place, lightning is going to hit. So back then, in the 80s, people dressed up, they bathed. They shaved, you know, they, to come to church, suits, dresses. I'm in a jeans and a, you know, rock concert t-shirt or whatever, you know. I think it might have been Morris Day in the time, but it's irrelevant. It has nothing to do it. So you remember the song, which one of these does not belong? Which one? Okay, so John's sitting on the third row, you know, like, who's the pagan in the church? I just stood out. And what's the Lord? What, what does he say to me? Hey, John. Why would you speak kindly to me? Because I'm about to do something in your life that you have no idea about. Because John, before you recognized who I was, I knew who you were. When you see this, does it just beautifully break your heart where you see the pattern of Ruth? Ruth had no idea what's going on. She thinks she's picking up lunch. And in one day, she goes from gleaning in the field to owning the field. <laughs> and I look at where I am now, and people will take shots at me, you know, because you're the preacher on the platform. And I'm like, man, you, you don't have to take shots at me. I don't have a pedestal. I've learned if, if you don't live on a pedestal, it don't hurt when you fall off, you know. I, I probably think less of myself than you think of me. But I also feel very, very loved and very cared for and esteemed by my kinsmen. There were other kinsmen, but none who had her best interest at heart. And there were other kinsmen, but none would love her, intimately sharing with her 
all that he had. May I just read this to you? Let me see if i got enough time here. In verse 11, And Boaz answered and said unto her, It has been fully shown to me all that you have done unto your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you left your father and mother in the land of your nativity, and you're come to a people which knew not Israel, which knew not heretofore. The Lord recompense your work, and a full reward be given you of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to trust. And I borrowed this from a, a commentator, and I adjusted it, so it's his paraphrase slash wood paraphrase, uh, but they did not list his name, but it was very archaic print. So anyway, this is what this passage means, paraphrase. Imagine when what Boaz said to Ruth, the Lord saying this to you. I know and understand the state and circumstances of the awakenings of grace in your soul. I've long viewed the struggles you have encountered that brought you to this place. The death of your husband to whom you were wedded in a covenant of works and the workings of grace that led you to leave and forget your own people and your father's house and cast yourself wholly on the sovereignty of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A full satisfaction shall be given you as you are espoused to Christ and you shall not be disappointed in your hope. How sweet and how precious are words like this to the heart of every poor seeking sinner. But it is also hard to believe that in the moment we fear we are overlooked, misunderstood, forgotten, and deemed significant in a stranger's field, that Jesus makes known to us that every loss, every sorrow, every tear, every sigh of the soul has not only been noticed, but has been used to bring us to himself. And finally, number three, the sufficient kinsman. Brooke, if you would come, please. Notice in verse 14, are you there with me in your Bible? It says, and she did eat, and she was satisfied. There's more to this than a temporary meal. There's the idea that what happened at the will and hands of Boaz satisfied her. The provision satisfied her. The company satisfied her. The protection satisfied her. He said, there's water to drink. When you are athirst, verse 9, go to the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. And didn't the Bible say of Jesus in the last day, the great day of the feast, he said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. John 4, whoever drinketh of the earth's water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But it'll be like a well of water springing up into everlasting life. There's bread to eat. Verse 14, keep your Bible open. Boaz said to her, At mealtime, come hither and eat of the bread and dip your morsel in the vinegar. And Jesus said in John 6, I say unto you, Moses gave you the bread from heaven, but my father, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And they said, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Boaz was telling her, I can satisfy your temporal hunger, because what I gave you, there's plenty more. And Jesus says, I can satisfy the hunger of your soul, and that for eternity. There was opportunity to glean. And when she was risen up, verse, verse, verse 15, 
Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean everything among the sheaves and reproach her not. There are opportunities in your life you don't realize it, but God has left the corners of many fields to provide for you. Opportunities to glean in education. Opportunities to glean in relationships. By glean, I mean pick up, supply, daily manna, always enough. Listen to this. There were commands of, of protection. It said in verse 9, Let not your eyes be on the, any other field. And have I not charged the young men not to touch you? The Bible says in Psalms 34 that the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him to deliver them. So I'm, I'm going through these fast, but Boaz is telling them, and Jesus is telling us, there's water to drink with me. You're never going to be thirsty again. There's bread to eat with me. You're never going to be hungry. There'll always be enough around you, wherever you're gleaning. And he said, I have commanded protection for you. There were commands of provision. He said in verse 16 and 17 to his workers, And let some fall also, handfuls of purpose for her. Handfuls on purpose. That could be, that phrase could be put on my gravestone. That everywhere John Wood walked, there seemed to be something dropped by the hand of God to keep him going. A kind word, a praying friend, a witness of the Spirit, a dream in the night, a song in the car, a word from heaven, a sermon, a note in the, uh, a note in the mail, a friend taking you to lunch, someone calling you in the middle of night. Everywhere I walk, in darkness and in light, in weakness and in strength, someone, some minister has dropped a handful on purpose. So here they are in the field, Ruth's coming, and Boaz, who owns the field, says, just don't, don't let just little stuff fall out of the machine. Drop just a whole stick of barley. Just like, oops. I'm not looking for like shouts of response. Is that not the story of your life? You walk and you go, what is this? Yes, Lord. <laughs> he put that over your shoulder. Every good thing I have was a handful on purpose. <laughs> Every good thing I have. And finally, there was an invitation to nearness and a place at his table. He said, come in. Come in the tent here. Sit at my table. Dip the bread I gave you in my vinegar. Kind of like the herbs and vinegar at Carabas. See, do you know the riches of God's Word? We read over some of this and it never dawns on us. Poor widows from Moab never have things of luxury. If you had a piece of old bread, you were lucky. And he has fresh bread cooked. And he said, come here. So here's a wealthy man with oil that the poor did not have, with herbs and vinegar. He said, come taste and see that your Lord is good. Look at this. And we taste of the things of life like peace and joy and rest. And we go, 
good. That's good. It's not about living better than anyone else. It's about living a life that you never dreamed was possible. And the things that he gives are eternal. In this life, if you could see the divine story, you would say, I know my Redeemer. Did you know that word is the same word in the Greek? Kinsman. I know that my kinsman liveth. I see him. I hear him. And dare I say this? He's so real sometimes I can smell him. Very soon in the life of Ruth, he was going to surprise her. It's not just, you know, she goes home and she takes this ephah, E-P-H-A-H. I hope that's how you pronounce it. Some scholar will correct me after church. Ephah. Sounds like that. Which meant three gallons of grain after she beat it out. See, she was industrious. She didn't wait for somebody else to do it. She picked up in the field all day and she brought it home. And three gallons, that's enough for her and Naomi to eat for three days. That's a lot of grain. That's before you got the handfuls on purpose. Okay? She brought that grain home and Naomi goes, Girl, what? You read it. What field you been in? You know how you go fishing and you don't catch nothing? And you go fishing somewhere else and you got a long stringer? What's the first thing that people say? Where'd you go? You think they'd hook a brother up? You think they'd let a brother come fish? Naomi said, girl, what field have you been in? I've been in Boaz's field. She goes, stay there. That's what she said. Read it. It's just real folk. She says, stay. What? Be sweet. Don't mess this one up, Ruth. You know, stay there. And all the while, I don't know if this is going to hit you like it did me. He's already being led by the Spirit. You think giving you grain is something? I'm going to give you my name. Christianity isn't about getting things from God. It's about getting God and seeing Him in the things. With all that's going on, I just think it's beautiful that the Lord would orchestrate kinsmen to fall on this day of uncertainty, this hour of uncertainty. And uh, are we okay, Josh? Is that up? I can't see you. Okay, we're good. I want to play a song for you, and then I'm going to ask Wade to come and uh, pray for us. Simple, old song, but with this knowledge, would you just couple what I preached with this song and go into the week with this in your soul?
not only given us the corners of the field, but the field has not just provided a, a morsel or a meal, but a lifetime of sustenance. A Redeemer who's looked beyond our what we can give as nothing and adds to our nothing everything. Who takes the wretched and brings them close who takes the filthy and covers them with those robes of kindness. Oh, you are so good. You are so good. So kind. So loving. So righteous. So holy. So perfect. So beautiful. Oh, let us this week find our attention and our gaze pulled into you. Oh, precious Redeemer. Precious friend. Lord, we thank you for this word. God, let it sink deep in our hearts. Deep in our hearts. God, this week that we, this week that we would sing this song over and over and over again of your loving kindness, of your goodness, and of your mercy. We thank you for it, Jesus. Be with us this week. God, encourage our hearts. God, get, let us encourage one another. God, that you would put people in our minds that we would call them and encourage them and remind them that you are our Redeemer and our friend. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. We love you guys. It's great to see you. We'll see you again tonight.